0: The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Alrighty, it's uh, time to get started. Well, I have got some news for you. We are making our way to a new book for our verse-by-verse study. It shall be the book of Acts. We are going to begin chapter 1. I'll explain uh, why we're doing that when we start uh, the message itself for now we will go to the lord in a word of prayer father god we are excited about hearing about the birth of the church the purpose for our christian faith the purpose of our christian lives revealed through 28 chapters the book of acts the extension the sequel of the gospels picking up there after the resurrection We pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding and allow us to hear what the Spirit is saying because in this morning's message is revealed what matters most to God. And what matters most to God must be of great importance. We praise your name and thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So as you know, uh, since Easter, we've been tracking along with the Lord, focusing on all that happened after the resurrection, as recorded in the Gospels. We didn't return after Easter to where we were in our verse-by-verse study, uh, because it would put us back at Passion Week, right before the crucifixion again. And so it just made sense to continue on, with the events occurring post-resurrection. And you'll recall that we looked at Jesus appearing to his disciples on the road called Emmaus. Uh, then we looked at him revealing himself amidst his congregated people there in the upper room with us, some really rich and fascinating teaching. And then the risen Lord uh, led uh, lead disciple Peter back into right relationship after that tremendous, tragic fall when Peter denied even knowing Christ, under pressure, threat uh, for his life, and uh, he compromised. But there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he was reinstated. And so, yeah, we've been looking at that. Well, what comes next is called the Great Commission, and that's how the four Gospels close out. Uh, They explain his Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God who descended from heaven with a purpose. And he accomplished that purpose by dying for the sins of the world to reconcile us back to God. And with the great uh, accomplishment came a great commission. He accomplished what he came to do and then he gives the church something to do for him and so yes indeed the Lord made it clear that when he said I have come down from heaven to give my life as a sacrifice a ransom payment for the sins of the world and that is why Jesus came before the foundations of the world the Bible says the plan was in place to save us from our sins That we could live forever simply by trusting the one who would be good on our behalf because we could never be good enough to get into heaven. You'd have to be perfect. And God knows that's not going to happen. And so He said, It's not about being good, it's about coming to the one who is good on your behalf, who lived the perfect life for you and died the perfect death as your stand in, your substitute. He was on the cross. As you, saying, take your wrath out on every sin of John and Peter and Nancy and everybody else. He died with the sins of the world upon his sinless shoulders because he's not just fully a man. He's fully God. He had no father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit through a human womb. And so we call him the God-man. So the God-man in phase one... (laughs) Of, recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is to pay for the sins of the world. Phase two, and interestingly enough, Luke's gospel was never just Luke's gospel. It was always Luke's acts. It's a seamless work. In ancient times, it was never just the gospel of Luke. It was Luke slash acts of the apostles, as we call it. Uh, Kind of a misnomer because the book should be called uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit because right from the start we'll see that we can't do anything unless the Spirit himself comes and empowers us. And so, yeah, the Acts. And so We get a great commission, and we're going to take a look at that in the opening uh, chapter. But just so you know, it's all about the power of God coming into our lives so that Jesus can just continue his work to seek and save the lost. Nothing changed except he does his work of seeking and saving the lost through us, by his Spirit, in his people called the body of Christ. And now he's not uh, present in a physical, corporal sense of a body, but he's uh, present, spiritually speaking, by the Spirit of Christ who dwells in every heart that has uh, professed faith in his name. And so, yeah, so the, 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 the book of Acts uh, chronicles how the faith of 120 Jewish Christians. That's how many it started with. Spread to the entire Roman Empire in under 30 years, from chapter 1 to chapter 28. And that is the point. And they didn't have uh, a lot of money. They didn't have uh, iPhones. They didn't have computers. They didn't have modern means of transportation or modern technology They had many obstacles. But something that they did have was the power of God. And that is made very clear from chapter 1. Take a look here. The first 11 verses. Luke is speaking, and when he says, in my former book, he's talking about Luke, the book of Luke. In my former book, Theophilus we will talk about who he might be. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, called the Ascension, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering there on the cross for the sins of the world, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, and eating with them, and they're, they're always eating in the Bible, which is really good news for me. <laughs> I find it very encouraging. <laughs> uh, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Yeah, many occasions, even at the Last Supper, about the Holy Spirit he would send, Right? He said, for John baptized with water. So here's a heads up of what this event that's coming is going to look like. It's this filling. John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wow. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Explain that. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. You're going to be the one saying, Hey, he's alive. He's a, He can save you. He, he's, he's worked in my heart and life. I used to be an atheist now. All right. Uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. The circles are getting wider like a bullseye, right? Judea and Samaria, and then all the way out to the ends of the earth. Finishing up with this, after he said that, he was taken up before their very eyes, which is amazing language. A cloud hid him from their sight. It really has the idea of he's taken, which is amazing. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white, I wonder who they could be, uh, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking into the sky so intently? The same Jesus who has been taken from you, there it is again, the Father removed him. It's beautiful, will come. Back, he will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So there you have it, the opening introduction for the 28 chapters to come. Uh, 11 verses down, 996 to go. (laughs) So we're going to be busy for a while, but it's a great book, considering the church has been under attack for especially the last year, year and a half or so. Uh, So we're going to see the purpose of what God had in mind when he came up with the idea of church, when he came up with the idea of Christian faith, when he came up with the idea of saving us, because he saves us, and then he recruits us to be able to join with him in his mission. That's the purpose of the Christian life, because nothing's more important to God that no soul winds up in hell. That's his heart. Well, there'll be people there, but they'll have to leapfrog over his battered, bruised, and bloodied body and the power of the Holy Spirit that pled with them their entire lives not to turn away the love of God but to receive it and to be saved. And so uh, the acts of uh, the apostles, really the acts of the Holy Spirit in the apostles, as I've been saying, four foundation stones in this 11-verse introduction. Uh, Number one, we're going to look at... uh, Christianity is founded upon, number one, convincing proof. That's what he talks about in the opening verses. And number two, it's founded upon supernatural power. It's not about you know a new philosophy of living or getting religious. It's about an encounter with power and a substance of change. Uh, and then number three, a great commission. Yeah, like I said, uh, a great accomplishment to reconcile the world on the cross. And then he gives us something to do. And then all in preparation for the spectacular promise to come, that every eye shall see him. He will reveal himself and once again take back all of creation because he was the designer. He is the one who started it and he will finish what he started. He's coming back uh, as he has promised 2,500 times in the Bible. And so there you have it, how it all kind of got off to a start after his death and resurrection and uh, made it, spread all the way 2,000 years to you and to me. This is the story, right? And, and how the convincing proof persuaded our hearts and how the supernatural power changed our life and how a great commission is the, the thing we give our lives to and the spectacular promise that we're all awaiting when we see the one who made us face to face. So that one far-off divine event toward which all creation moves, to quote the poet Yeats, it's coming. And so it is his world after all, and it is the bottom line. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ uh, will come again. And so that's the theme there, even in the 11-verse introduction. So let's meet uh, Dr. Luke. We know he's a physician from Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. Says that he is a scholar, he is a physician. And uh, we'll see the reason now why he picked up his pen, got out scroll number 2, and started writing. Let's take a look at that now, at the second part of Luke. Acts. So here's uh, that first point of convincing proof is really what I take away. There we're going to talk about that now. Let me paraphrase what you're looking at. So yes, dear friend of God, Theophilus. So yes, dear friend of God. In my first section I detailed everything Jesus taught from those early days. Verse 2 till the time he ascended into heaven when by the power of the Holy Spirit he commissioned his disciples. Verse 3, after agonizing, after suffering, he provided many convincing proofs that he was alive and well for over a month. He appeared to his disciples teaching them all about God's kingdom to come. So let's dive into these convincing proofs really. So Luke slash Acts is a well-documented, solid historical account of the Luke's version, is the book of Luke, the life and teaching of Jesus, and then Acts, the expansion of the Christian message called the gospel. And he picks up right there at the death and resurrection in the same weeks right there. There's no ending point. It's one continuous story. There and so uh, Luke is the most prolific writer of the New Testament. Most people give that honor to the Apostle Paul, but it's actually Luke. Uh, Luke is responsible for one quarter of the New Testament verses there, and so yeah, and and what I want to say is, and you can tell this from the the intro to Luke and the intro to Acts, which are very similar, that uh, he is a reputable scholar. Even back in the day, uh, to train as a physician was rigorous training indeed. And painstakingly, he researched and interviewed eyewitnesses for his story about the Gospels. He was not an eyewitness. He became a Christian during Paul's missionary journeys. And so uh, in the second sequel here of Acts, he not only is interviewing people and researching He's a part of the team, you see? And so in Acts 16, we start hearing we. And then we know that Luke is among them. From Acts 16, when they head into Philippi, remember that? He's on board, he's on that boat. And he will continue to be a part of the story all the way until uh, Acts chapter 28, when Paul is imprisoned in Rome. Luke is by. His side. Um, yeah, so this Theophilus guy, let me show you the intro, remind you about the intro to Luke. Many have undertaken, this is how Luke starts his gospel, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us oral tradition, written writings of Mark Mark was out there already Uh, from the first eyewitnesses and the servant of the word that's just beautiful language therefore since I myself have carefully investigated scholars point out that the book of Acts tells us that Luke lived in Israel for two years so he had time to interview everybody and write the gospel there under the influence of the Holy Spirit of course I myself have carefully investigated. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account. The word is scholarly and deep and substantive. This is just not some mystical religious thing, you know, talking about all this crazy, sacramonious nonsense. This is a well-researched, solid document, as I'm going to get into here. Most excellent Theophilus. There he is again. So the Luke and Acts is dedicated to this one guy. Who is he? Well, some say Theophilus, friend of God. Is this most excellent is a title, and so he's probably some Roman official, and some scholars say that he is responsible for helping the Apostle Paul, who is at trial for his life at the end of Acts, and he needs legal documents to kind of come to Paul's defense about... The Christian uh, faith and so Theophilus perhaps is helping in that regard uh, but most scholars say this that Theophilus friend of God is a pseudonym which means us we are God's friend not everybody's God's friend a lot of people are his enemy and a lot of people are passive aggressive about it they say well I'm not his enemy Well, oh, yeah the passive aggressive type are worse they just will never mention him. They just write him out. They live their lives as if they birthed themselves. They brought themselves into the world. They sustained their lives. They've got this. They don't need God. And so they they don't think about him. They don't talk about him. They say, you're dead to me. I'm not giving you a second. This is my world, and I'm the captain of my own destiny. Oh, yeah. So not everybody's his friend. But if you are his friend, then you need to know the facts. And here's how it went down. Here's how the Savior of the world came in, lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, rose from the dead, and then sent his Holy Spirit to fill us up so that he can offer an age of grace, an amnesty time for people to come back to him. And so we're talking about uh, convincing proofs, right? So your text says for 40 days he's weaning the disciples who have spent three and a half years with a tangible Jesus in a body. Now he's been teaching them, look, you see me? I'm here, touch and feel. I have a spiritual body. It still has something you can touch and feel, but his presence uh, has been changed. And he's teaching them. He's saying, look, I'm here with you, but you're not always going to see me anymore. So for 40 days, in and out, he's teaching, disappearing, teaching, disappearing, teaching, appearing, disappearing, until the ascension when they realize, oh, now we're going to be walking by faith. And he weans them from needing to see all the time. And so uh, that's what's going on with the proofs. I mean, it's hard to uh, not believe when he's standing there going, Thomas, come on, touch, touch, touch. But there's more than that regarding convincing proofs. Listen, God, our Savior, who created all things, he, his heart is that nobody miss heaven that nobody would go to such a place that he prepared for the devil and his angels. He never prepared hell for any human being. Only those who want to go with the devil and kind of hook arms with the devil and those who, who rebelled against him, but hell was not created for man. And he doesn't want anybody to go there and look at the cross. That says, please, whatever you do, I'll bleed out for you. So just trust me, and it'll be good. You'll be reconciled. That won't require goodness on your part. Just trust in me. I'll make you uh, alive and well. And so, yeah, convincing proof. So, so he. And there's no such thing as blind faith. God never asked for blind faith. He gave us creation. Convincing proof. Come on, look around you. Look around at the miracle of life. How human beings can be a half cell from your mom, a half cell from your dad. It forms one cell. For 90 minutes, a human being is a one-cell organism. That alone pulls out the rug from every atheist right there. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says, you want to talk convincing proofs? He says, creation, the creator left his fingerprints all over the place as calling cards to your conscience that can look around and see by the things created his divine power and his divine nature, clearly seen. In fact, Romans 1 says there's no such thing as an atheist. That's what Romans, the Bible says, that everybody to one degree or another has been programmed with a conscience from God that that knows by looking around and knows as a human being that I didn't, uh, this isn't my idea. And that chance is only... Listen, chance is only a probability of something happening. It's not a, a, a force with intelligent design. So when people say, oh, it all happened by chance and chance and chance, chance is a statistic of probability. It it has no force to create, you see? So you got to come up with something better than that. And, you know, so... Yeah, we'll move on. Historical documents are verifiable. So I love what the Lord said. Listen, if I claim to be God, which he did, if I can't do what only God can do, then don't believe me. John chapter 10. He said, but if I'm claiming to be God and I do what only God can do is open the eyes of a man born blind, raise up paralyzed people, walk on water, if I can do those things, if I can say to you, listen, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, I'll raise you up. Then I better be able to show that I can do that. So, where, give me a dead body. And they said, well, Lazarus has been dead four days. What about him? Yeah, that'll do. So he, <laughs> he, he goes to the cemetery. And Martha's like, please, please, Lord, I know I want him to come back. But, you know, you roll away the stone and, you know, his body's been decaying. It's been four days. And he's, she says, he says, Mary, didn't I just tell you? I'm claiming to be the resurrection and the life. If you put your trust in me, death isn't a problem. Watch. Lazarus, come out. And out comes the dead man, wobbling like this. And thank goodness he called him Lazarus or everybody else behind him would be coming out, you know? <laughs> because this is God in a body. So he's are you saying? Convincing proofs. This is not like if God showed me a miracle, then I believe. First of all, that's a lie. Maybe well intentioned, but people saw lots of miracles. Judas, Judas is right there the whole time, and he ends up perishing. The Pharisees, they saw, they were in the crowd. When lepers who were uh, gnarled hands, the hand went boom. And they're like, he does it by the power of the devil. So if your heart doesn't want to believe, It doesn't matter if you see a miracle. It doesn't matter if you go to the Alps and you see the wildlife and you wonder how this whole world got here. You'll dismiss it. You'll just say, chance, this happened, you know, because your heart doesn't want to believe. And so, yeah, so his the purpose is so important. I just want to show you one thing with the people who say, I don't take the Bible literally. They don't understand the Bible. Let me show you Luke uh, chapter 2 about convincing proofs. Times, dates, places, people, positions, cities, nations, wars. They're all listed. You can check it out. It's verifiable. I don't know what this means. I don't take this literal. This is like at the time the Christmas story. At the time the Roman emperor Augustus, did he live or not? Google it. You'll find out there was a Roman Empire, Emperor, I should say, Augustus. He lived, decreed that a census. Did it happen? Yes, you can look it up. Should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This, by the way, was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. A name, a place, a title. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census, this thing that is verifiable. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, there's a genealogy that will show all the names in the genealogy coming in the next chapter. He had to go to a place, Bethlehem, Judea. You can go there today. You can dig and you'll find stuff. David's ancient home. And so you get the point he traveled there from a village of Nazareth and so you can just tell and you've got 40 different writers over a period of a, a 1500 years who don't know each other separated by a thousand years saying the same thing with no contradiction 66 books 40 different authors one message for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the point of why he came. That is the point why he made the church, so that nobody would perish but that everybody who simply believed. That's the terrible thing about hell. If you wind up on the other side of the great white throne in Revelation chapter 20, He will look and he will say with great heartache, thy will be done, not mine. My will was that you come and have life. And so convincing proofs leads uh, next to supernatural power. uh, Following along, as I paraphrase on one such occasion, While they're eating together, (laughs) he ordered them to stay put in Jerusalem, and he said, wait for the gift that I often have been talking to you about from the Father. Um, Verse 5, John baptized you with water, but in a few days from now you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. To quote John the Baptist, John the Baptist said to the crowd he was dunking in water. The dunking in water represented... (laughs) Old life dead, died, you died, boom, buried, covered over, and now by God's Spirit, He will raise you to a new life, a new life, a changed heart, right? See, but that didn't happen until Jesus died for everybody's sins. And that's where the new covenant comes. We have a new we have an old testament covenant, same word, arrangement, agreement. It's the old agreement. And the new agreement, the New Testament is just means the new way of doing life with God. Right? And the Old Testament, when I was just talking to a Jewish man who's telling me all the reasons he can't believe in Jesus, and he said, I'm not into this Gentile New Covenant, New Testament thing. So I have to say, look, in our Tanakh, which is Bible in Hebrew, it says clearly the old covenant will become archaic and will give way to a new covenant. Here's how Ezekiel, speaking of, in quotes, the new covenant to come, says this, Ezekiel, and I'll give you a new heart, not a religion, that says, do this commandment, thou shalt or die. That just came to show us your need, show us our need of a savior that we can't keep the Ten Commandments, not even in spirit, right? Right? And I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. There it is. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. I'll change you. (laughs) And I'll put my spirit in you. There it is. Wait for the promise. The Holy Spirit's going to come as I've been telling you and be in you and change you and raise you. This is the part of the gospel. I wish I would have got when I was 19, 18 years old, uh, I feel like I would have come to the Lord sooner uh, because I didn't understand. I thought they kept, uh, the street preacher and I were talking in the city. And he's like, I go, dude, look, I'm starting to believe there might be a God. I saw something happen with my Jewish father and now he's talking about Jesus all the time and all of this stuff. But listen, I'll just tell you, I'm going to be frank with you. I don't like anything you guys like. I don't like your music. I don't like church. Uh, I don't understand anything. I don't want to understand anything. I'm quite happy the way things are. Why can't God just love me the way I am and all of that stuff, right? And so I didn't know. I thought it would be Ross doing these religious deeds. That would be impossible, right? I didn't know. Once you trust, you hear the message, it's power. The power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to save those who believe. So it's not just mere words. There's this divine power that gets into your heart, and then the Holy Spirit, upon you trusting in the message and in Christ. If The Spirit comes into you like these words and changes your desires. I'll never forget the first time, and it was days after I had this encounter in a bar. I've told you a thousand times. I walk out of the bar. I've been a Christian a few days. I'm like, yes, there's a God in heaven. There's a devil to avoid. I don't want to go to hell. I'm a Christian, whatever that means. And I start noticing I'm not cussing. I go to cuss. Like a 19-year-old godless guy that I was, I go to cuss, and it (laughs) goes right here. I'm like, what? What? What is happening to me? What is happening? I'm changing the things I used to love. Now I'm embarrassed of them, and I don't. I don't. I'm not thrilled by it anymore. And the things I used to hate—it's like, oh man, that sounds attractive. A clean conscience, good deeds. Loving people, knowing God, walking with him, answered prayer, and all of these things. So that's the, the supernatural power is pretty important there, a new heart. Now, if, if your Christian life is boring, I'm going to suggest something to you. User error, all right? <laughs> because listen, if God, who spoke, that's God's spirit coming in us, right? L- let me show you what he says at the Last Supper which was only a few weeks earlier, right? Look what he said there in John, I think it's 14 and... Six. Yeah. At the table, last supper, he says well, same thing. I will ask the Father, and he will give you the counselor. The word means comforter. It means parakaleo in the Greek means one called alongside, to help. A supporter, an advocate, a comforter, a counselor. There's so many ways... Just falls short. It's God coming to help us. He'll be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Love that. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him or wants to know him. But you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. There it is. Listen to that. You turn off a turn over a new leaf. Start doing religious things. Be good. No. Become alive. Because being good will not get you to heaven. It has nothing to do with being good. It has everything about being alive. If the spirit gets into you, before you die, you live forever. If the spirit doesn't relight that connection to God and you die estranged, you die twice. You will die physically, and then you will die spiritually, and that is a terrible thing indeed. And so he tells him, <laughs> this is the whole point is to come to know him. Now, if the spirit of God who could speak and make a planet, I couldn't speak and make a grain of sand, right? <laughs> but I can't imagine somebody who could say, you know what, I'd like to make a universe, I'd like to make the earth. So so I'm just gonna, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. How? He spoke. He said, let there be an earth. And there was an earth. Think of the earth in all its beauty and grandeur. Just from speaking, that God dwells in every believer's heart by his same spirit he used to create and sustain the universe. So if your life is boring... There's something not quite right. When you wake up in the morning and you got you're the friend of God. I mean, we like to brag about who we're friends with, you know? Do you know this Hollywood guy or this athlete or whatever? You know, we're friends, we're super tight, you know whatever. God, my friend. You got a close relationship with God, you? <laughs> you got a crazy wonderful life. That's all I got to say. And so yeah, I got so many people misunderstand Christianity. Just uh, again, I tell you the story all the time, but it always happens. Somebody I'm sharing the gospel with says, "I'm not into it. I'm just not into it." I got an aunt like you; she's really into it, you know. And and I'm like, okay, "Whoa, whoa, stop! I'm not into it. All right, I don't know what you're talking about. When did I ever say it? I said He, Father, Love. He has a face." He has hands that were nailed, I not into an it. Who wants to be into it? Ooh. <laughs> and into it, lighting candles and doing good deeds and you know, all of this. and here are my 80 things I can't do today, right? No, I'm not into it. but there's a Father who created me for a purpose to know him and to love him. And to escape judgment and death and wrath, and to live forever in a place that's only good. That I could get into that, to be honest with you. And so yeah. So power. Power is coming. And and who could live the Christian life without power? So he says, hey, make sure you get the power, because if if the spirit doesn't come in uh, your goose is cooked. All right, verses 9 through 11, after the telling them these things. What verses are we on, by the way? Are we on 8? We're on 6 through 8. Where'd they go in my Bible? All right, 6 through 8? You've never seen it? This is new? Okay. I do three services, people. You think it's so easy? Why don't you come out up here and try it? <laughs> Just smacking your gum out there? I see. Come on. All right. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, yeah, 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 yeah. Lord, at this time, is this the time? Let me paraphrase for you. During one of those times, uh, Lord, are you now going to exalt Israel to fulfill the Old Testament promises? Is it now? He said, you know what? You That shouldn't be your focus right now. That's God the Father's department. Verse 8, but here's the deal. You're going to receive power, there it is again, from God, so you can testify to the truth. To the whole world, starting here in Jerusalem, spreading out accordingly to the utmost corners of the planet. Okay, so something to do. The Great Commission, saved to save. So they're like... Oh wow, goody man! You know, Lord, you're back. You're back from the dead. You've accomplished. You said it is finished on the cross. You've, um, you're, you've accomplished that for which you came. What's next? Is it uh, time for Israel to experience all those beautiful promises? And they know the promises. Uh, it's a misguided question. They know the promises though, and those promises are there. And you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say they're not going to happen. He just says, it's not the focus of your Christian life is how God's unfolding everything. The focus is man the lifeboats because the Titanic is struck the iceberg and it's going under. Your job right now, stay focused. Now, of course, he gives us these things that the Jewish people uh, will turn to God, and the disciples want to know, and the disciples have a vested interest in what the Bible says will happen when Messiah comes. And they want to know, is it now that Israel gets restored to its biblical borders, which is 10 times the amount of square miles that they currently occupy? They want to know, is it now? Is it now when you sit on the throne and Israel, as the Old Testament says, will become the kingdom superpower of the nations? That's what it says. And they have a vested interest in the question. Why? Because when Peter said, hey, we've given everything for you. What's in this for us? Jesus was gracious enough to answer him and said, by the way, you you guys who have followed me, you 11 plus one, making up for Judas, whoever that plus one will be, will sit on 12 thrones. And when I liberate Israel, you will reign and rule with me on 12 thrones. So they want to know. Is it now? Is it now? Where's the throne? Where's the throne? And he says, you guys, wrong focus. Wrong focus. People are going to hell. And I want to start an age of amnesty where whosoever, whatever they've done, murderer, name the worst thing a human being can do. Whatever they have done, they can come back to me through faith in my son. That's God's, God the Father speaking. And have amnesty. But there'll be a day when amnesty is over called the wrath of God, the day of the Lord, uh, the apocalypse, it's coming. And what's awesome about the salvation of our souls and the gospel is this, it's a twofer. We are saved from our sins and eternal condemnation called hell. That's a given. That's all over the Bible. And what Christians forget is, is that what also we're saved from is the day of God's wrath, the apocalypse. He says, I will spare my people from the hour of tribulation that's coming on the whole planet. Because why? He paid for our wrath. Why would he pour on wrath that's going to end the earth? As we know, human history is going to be ended by 21 judgments of revelation that fall on the planet. He says, I'm going to take my people and I'm going to miraculously keep them from that whole scene. And so it, it's a twofer, it's a beautiful thing. And so he said, uh, Your job is to be witnesses for me. Let me show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 what God thinks our job is all about. God reconciled us first to himself through Christ, got it, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what our lives are about, helping people come to know christ so they don't perish that in christ god's not counting people's sins against them that's unbelievable because he died for them he removed them he paid for them so on that day justice is still going to reign because he's he's not winking and saying oh you can come in even though you were a terrible person i'm just merciful you know how i am wink wink oh no perfect justice you can come in because your every last sin has been paid for in full there's no wink wink there's, justice has been paid on your behalf. And so either you let Christ pay, and it's just. Or you have to pay, because that's just. Someone's got to pay, because just justice, and justice is the foundation of God's throne. So he says, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's who I am. That's who you are. You may not be a full-time uh, gifted evangelist. That's not your thing. Maybe you're introverted, but somehow you're light. As a Christian, you've got the answer. One word out of your mouth can save a soul because it's his word. Right? Right? So you got to be on alert 24-7 because God's given you and me and it it manifests itself very differently in our lives. But we share the commonality of this. We care. We care about our neighbors. We care about somebody who doesn't know Christ because we know there's a threat over their head. I told last service, you know, I've got two neighbors and uh, both families uh, on both sides don't know the Lord. And uh, last night I was hearing the the partying at the pool in a in a happy good way, but I know mom and dad are getting older, and they're really dead set against the gospel. And I I said to myself I prayed for them. It, they don't you don't live forever. I know where that train is headed, and, and when I hear. They're laughing. I'm, I'm bothered by it because they don't know. They don't know. They have no idea. One wrong turn, one skip of a beat, and they were my next-door neighbor. I am left this close to them. I'm responsible to say a prayer to care, to think, to do my part by action. By word, we have the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to us as though Christ was in us begging them. We beg you, don't perish, don't go to hell when you don't have to. That's the sting of hell, is that everybody in hell will have to realize forever, you didn't have to go there. You did not have to go there. And, you, and God didn't require anything but simple trust just a change of heart, that's all. He didn't say climb Mount Everest in your bare feet, which I would think about doing (laughs) if it got me out of hell, right? But he said, no, 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 just trust me. Just look, look to me and be saved. Wow, that's an amazing thing. And so this is what he's saying here. You're going to be my witnesses. You're saying, listen, I used to think this. God has come into my life and changed me. Oh, the power of a testimony! Oh, the the world of PR has caught on to this because you—they sell everything through testimonials, from dog food to vitamins to cars, to to everything. Even when you want to get a job, they want to hear the testimony of somebody else about you. This is why your testimony is so important, and you may not have bible verses down and you don't know what to say and you're not a theologian and all of that but you've got a testimony the samaritan woman didn't know anything jesus touched her heart by telling her things that only he only god could know about her and so she goes back to her village and she says oh my word this man i ran into him and he told me all about my life could he be the messiah and half of the place got saved because of the woman's testimony. Come meet a man who told me all about me. That's what. That's all we do. Come meet the Lord. He replaced my fear with peace. He changed my desires. He healed my marriage. Whatever is your story, you give testimony to. And one last thing about the word witness. Oh my word, it's where we get the word martyr. So it started out with, you shall be my martyrs, marturos, with just meaning testimony, just testify, a witness in court. He's alive, he's working, he can save you. That's how it started. But then martyr became what we know. Martyr is because when you give your testimony, when the words come out of your mouth, your head can come off your body just like James in Acts chapter 12, because he liked to testify. When John the Baptist told Herod, hey, man, it's not right that you stole your brother's wife. That's adultery, man. And so the brother's wife, Mrs. Herod, (laughs) was drinking too much at a party and ordered up his head to be delivered on a silver platter. Why? Because he was martyring. So Jesus says, listen, not everybody's going to love you. You're going to make some enemies. People are going to roll their eyes and call you a freak and say you're so backward and you're such a hater and you're so narrow-minded. That's because you're a martyr. You're a martyr, and thank the good Lord we don't live in Indonesia or Iraq, or Iran, or China, or North Korea, where the martyrs have to be martyred. Amen? Amen. Let's finish up with this beautiful little thought, the spectacular promise, which is driving the whole Christian church. After telling them these things, she's taken up in this glorious cloud. They're watching, and I just love this, The angels say, listen, just to clear up all the false religions to come about, this is really Jesus, it's just a different name. You call him Jesus, but we call him Krishna, or we call him the Buddha, whatever. No. This same Jesus, the child of Mary, the one who grew up and had his hands pierced, and they plucked his beard out and flogged his back, pierced his side. The one they spat in his face, that same Jesus, this Jesus, he's coming back. That's the same one. And he'll be back in the same way you see him going. And there was uh, the cloud. The cloud's important to Jews. In the Old Testament, you can't see God. His Shekinah glory, his cloud made him visible. So when they saw the cloud, they knew, wow, God is among us, whether that be in wandering in the wilderness, whether that be in the temple. When they dedicated the temple, the cloud came. You see, many times. And so they see, here's that cloud. God the Father takes the Son that, that God the Father sent in love, God the Son. He sent him, and then God the Son did his work, and then God the Father took him back. And so he says, this same Jesus is coming. 2,500 references to the second coming in your scriptures. Only 300 for the first. So just know (laughs) there's like three, four times the amount of prophecies for the second coming. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen in a public way. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Look, he is coming in the clouds. And every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. Now, those who pierced him have been long dead, right? And they are in a place called Hades. It's hot, but it's not hell yet. Hell comes at the end. But those who are in Hades, who did the deed, they'll see him. Nobody's going to miss the event, is what he's saying. It's going to be very public. I don't know if I have the lightning one where Jesus himself says he's coming as lightning. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west. So will be the coming of the Son of Man as Messiah, another term. So he says, I am going to light up the whole sky, the whole sky. And every eye, those in heaven, those on the earth, and those beneath the earth will see. Somehow God will make that uh, possible, and then it's a it's a vengeful, protective return. Look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter one with me as we wrap up. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with powerful angels. He will punish those who refuse to know God and obey the gospel of our Lord they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed we marvel they not so much in fact it says the entire earth will will wail when they see him appear that's not our response Our responses will be caught up first, out of harm's way. This is referring to the end of the apocalypse where Jesus returns with the church and establishes a kingdom of righteousness. The uh, verse 6, by the way, says that he's coming to defend his people. There are people alive during the apocalypse who are Uh, following Christ and who are called the tribulation saints. They believe in the Lord. And he comes to rescue them and to bring uh, vengeance. And so what I'm glad about is the Bible just says if you're on the ark, if you know Christ, it's like being on the ark. Uh, The judgment is going to come, but you will not have to worry about it because that's the whole point of good news. The whole point of good news is that we're spared uh, from that. And so, yeah, make it your life to do as God thinks that your job is, is to have a ministry of reconciliation, how you go about that, thinking about those who don't know the Lord, who are in your sphere of influence that can benefit from a, a word of your testimony. Let's pray together. Father God, we're thankful to know you and to get off and running with these 11 verses and now about what's most important to you. Let everybody who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.